and welcome to the Future Proof podcast from the north of England with Sarah and Stephen Waddington. We'll be talking about what's hot and what's not on the internet in marketing, media and public relations. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. So lots to talk about. US election. We're still waiting for a result. You're proofing the next edition of Future Proof. I've been doing some search listening. We're back in lockdown. Organisations are facing scrutiny over purpose. Yeah, kick off the US election count. I'm knackered, are you? It's emotionally draining and we're not in the US, but of course we're talking about the most powerful person in the world, right? Yeah, we're glued to CNN. (laughs) I've never known so much about the world's uh, weather, Levi's, Crayola, all those top 100 businesses. Wow. Ask me anything. (laughs) Crayola. But I suppose we're still going to sit it out. One interesting thing I wanted to mention there in passing is that we finally see in the US media call out Trump's lies and bullshit, right? Particularly in the last 24 hours, you know, his protestation about fraud is actively being called out by many of the networks. He crossed the line last night for us, didn't he, in terms of when we're recording right now, it's the morning of Friday the 6th of November. So for us right now in the US, it's too it's basically too close to call. It looks like it's um, moving into Biden's favour, but no one really wants to, to call it yet. It looks like Biden's taking the lead in Georgia, but... Arizona still hasn't got a final result. And of course, many people thought Biden had taken there as well. So it's just all a bit squeaky. Anyhow, Biden came out yesterday, early yesterday evening, made a short kind of be patient, very presidential address. And that must have baited Trump out a little bit later. We'd actually gone to bed at that point, but uh, he came out and uh, basically suggested that fraud was taking place, that postal votes were illegal, that uh, some of the officials were acting illegally, which for the first time, as you say, has seen an immediate response from the media, whereby even those who would normally listen to it and propagate his lies have actually come uh, out against those are actually um, fact-checking and rebutting what he's saying. And and not just that, even people of his own party are saying, come on, show us the evidence because they realise actually it's just a step too far um, to bringing their constitution and democracy into disrepute. Yeah, maybe by the time this is published, we'll, we'll know the result, but it's certainly over the next few days but it's great to see media finally but in terms of reputation and, and, and relationships though interesting isn't it because obviously boris johnson our prime minister and uh trump best of buddies johnson and biden not so much and there does not seem to be a big attempt from the uk government to build anything there, any bridges there. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out over the next few days, and not just over there, but of course for us, because this has implications for everybody in the free world. Well, we don't know, not least, we still haven't got a Brexit deal. We're hurtling towards mid-November, where by the time we're told that we need one to be in place if we're going to avoid no deal. We also need a trade deal with the US, and you know the noises are from the Biden administration that it's, it's not going to be straightforward. So yeah, um, you know, massive political implications. Well, they're interested in what's going on in Ireland, aren't they? Biden's actually yeah. very keen to protect uh, the, what the arrangement that's in place right now. Should we move on? Because you know, this isn't election cast, but it could very easily <laughs> could be. You, you tell us about the book you're proofing, the fifth edition of Future Proofs. Yes, yeah, so uh, another set of stories from NHS managers. 
Yeah, so exciting. Can't believe I've got another one coming out so hot on the heels of Edition 4, um, which celebrated some of the best um, BME talent that we have. But this one is a very special edition, again, a bit like number three, which marked the NHS at 70. And um, I just thought this was a really interesting one to do and was quite important to, to do right now because it marks a moment in time for the NHS uh, and um, looks at all the co- communications challenges that team, comms teams in the NHS face since the onset of COVID, you know, basically, you know, in, in edition three, talked about all the big problems it was facing from professionalism to underfunding to actually the biggest one being how do you take the public on the journey as it has to modernize because, because actually the, the, the face of healthcare would change and it'd become much more community-based. All those things and more have kind of by necessity been dealt with in, in the speediest time frame. And it's had to because of this, this global pandemic that's sweeping and it's, it's been it's threatened to overwhelm the NHS at different times. So, um, the book is great. It again draws on some amazing communicators who I don't know how they've done it, but I'm very grateful have found time in the busiest of this past six, seven months to write these chapters and looking at actually Different approaches to communication, such as is a centralized command and control approach appropriate um, in a national emergency? Probably yes, but actually there needs to be flexibility within that. Um, we've got a media perspective. Victoria McDonald writes about how um, she has found engaging with a comms teams. And, and she does talk about the good and the bad and actually about that centralized model and how that can impact things. Um, we talk about the big ethical issues that come with opening up an ICU in the middle of a pandemic because, you know, you're not just opening up something very simply. You're taking a media crew into quite a dangerous environment when you've got a disease like this. But not just that, you know, you're saying to patients, families that they can't come in, but you're yet letting a crew in. You've got to balance that need to, to show what the actual situation is and telling the story of COVID with actually keeping everything safe and secure and, and patients and um, privacy and dignity protected. So that's a fascinating chapter. But there's, there's so much more as ever a brilliant book. And I can say that because again, I haven't written it, but the stuff about trust and loyalty in the NHS, how NHS service change has, has had to be sped through, how regional mobilization is probably the model of the future. So this whole kind of multi-agency localized perspective and how you can get economy of scale and consistency is message that way. Um, and then there's things like We've got a lovely one from the Isle of Wight about how they launched the NHS COVID-19 app. You'll be aware that that's where it was first launched. That was a government decision, how the comms team responded to that. There's just so much in there. Comms is the way to lead world-class messaging and engagement, which we have seen from the NHS. And how actually even at a time of adversity like we've just had and continue to have, obviously, as we we've seen this second wave sweeping the UK and elsewhere, um, how they've found um ways to be very entrepreneurial. So for example, to deal with the PPE challenge, um the, the challenges that were being faced, up here, Northumbria Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust actually launched their own PPE manufacturing unit. So there's there's all this and more, but it's a really fascinating snapshot of a moment in time and I am minded I have to say to do another one for the NHS who knows maybe 12 months from now and just see where we are again because this is very much telling a story of an NHS as it transforms but also continues to make sure that we as the UK public get the healthcare that we need and it is it's quite amazing and I've got to say while I was proofing this and I'm, I'm now proofing the actual book 
I did actually cry twice just because it was a bit like, oh my God, you can just really feel it as a comms professional yourself. Yeah, question. So you're, you're in the middle of proofing. I know that's your job for the weekend. Uh, when, when's it going to be out? Oh, I hate that question. <laughs> um, so I got to proof this. I need to, once I've, I've got the book, I need to proof it. It then needs to go back to the designer. It will then go to the authors. It then, we then get a hard copy proof, which I then check again. And at that point, um, we will launch. I really am hoping for the start of December. Don't hold me to it, but okay. that's, that's very likely. So say three, three, four weeks latest. One for Christmas, for sure. That's great. I've been investigating search listening over the last month or so, doing some work with the team at Answer the Public. It's something that, that's starting to get a fair amount of attention, given that there are, and this this stat just blows my mind away, three and a half billion Google searches made every single day. Google, um, the, the psyche uh, of of the public it it seems and there's all sorts of tools we can use to 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 make sense of that the google autocomplete data that little list of search terms is you're served when you start to to type into a query in the little white box gives you an insight into the types of questions and things people are asking around around topics now we in public relations we use social media listing as a as a form of insight quite regularly and we're quite used to that but inevitably that has the bias that comes with a network such as such as twitter or or the blog google tends to have just by the sheer volume wider broader access of information so you can use the autocomplete box in google to help inform terms you can then go deeper than that and use services like google trends google provides this tool that will serve and provide you with um, popular search terms over over the last three six twelve months and more uh, and provide it by geography location you can use that to drill into to all sorts of topics i did it actually for for newcastle uh and i've written a blog about this case study for newcastle looking at the the correlation between the covid19 crisis and issues impacting the northeast community and unsurprisingly it was concerned about lockdown it was concerned about the impact on the on employment and, and economic security you can go and check that out on on my blog. Um, Answer the Public is an interesting tool and, and by disclosure I, I'm working for the, the team there helping them build out services from this tool but you can use that then to look at a very granular level and listen to the actual things that people are concerned about around a topic such as Newcastle and COVID-19 and you know you quickly discover things like infection rates where the testing locations, schools, hotspots and so you know it really is a powerful and um, actually I have to say very simple thing to, to use. We often think about search listening and, and social listening as a load of data and analysis, but if you can use Google, you can use any of these tools and they're hugely, hugely powerful. The team at Answer the Public are working on developing an application of this for crisis management. So to inform issues and emergency response, you know, inevitably we turn to to Google as one of our first lines of inquiry when we're faced with a situation and the, the team there are looking to build a tool on the back of that. So so watch out for that. It's a really interesting and emerging area. Uh, and it's also something that practitioners can get up to speed with incredibly easily. From COVID-19 to our second lockdown, um, Wales is coming out of its circuit breaker. We're going in. We've just gone in. We're day two, aren't we, of, of lockdown in in, in England, you've stopped drinking. 
how you how you doing, Sarah? <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Well, you know, we, we said we're we're taking a positive mental attitude. We're going to, we're going to lose weight. We're 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 eating healthily. We're not drinking. Well, uh, this this one is different though. Every isn't day, it? I think it's. I want to cover two things here in terms of our mental health and physical health and resilience. Last time, um, slightly different. Obviously, it was all new to us. Um, I found it very difficult not having um, the schools open or very good school support. Uh, and yes, we did start to drink quite a lot. This one, I'm a kind of like, we know what we're doing here. The schools are still open. We're very fortunate that business is good. I, we didn't have time to blink last time, let alone do anything positive. So I'm like, okay, let's take this sensibly. Let's use this as a circuit breaker for the little tipples that we have in the evening. And uh, yeah, try and do a little bit more exercise. That's more for you than for me, though, isn't it? And then uh, it's quite interesting, though. So let's talk about government messaging around this, because this has been, um, I think the expression I prefer to use is shit show. Um, and I think it's really important that we go back to where so. they started with, because actually that was the best messaging and it, and it helped people understand why it was so important and how actually coming back to the NHS, how we could help the people that we respect most who, who look after us when we need it. Um, and I think, they have moved back towards that and that's been helpful. But I have to say with the, with the local lockdowns, with the different nations doing different things, people have found it incredibly difficult to understand what is what and really what the rules are now. All I can say is I'm glad that they have, there is some recognition that perhaps the last one was slightly heavy and that there were, they have seen that there were ways that can, we can do more. So, some, so for example, we can exercise more. We can go out. We are allowed to go out for a walk with one other person, I believe. So things like that, I think, will really make a big difference to everybody. But they're going to have to work hard to communicate that and it, see if they can get people in line because there's been some major mistakes along the way, not least uh, track and tracing, not least what they've done with our poor university st- uh, students. I mean, the list is a long one. I, I, I'm too exhausted to even start. Oh, well, let's, 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 let's ask move on. Yeah, I'm looking at no, your face no, and you're like, no, oh, no. she's on the soapbox. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Let's move on. But yeah, we're firmly focused on health and well-being. Um, on, uh, from, from, from one of your favourite topics to another, or one, one, a topic on which you're very vocal to another, purpose and organisations being shown up by the crisis. Sainsbury's has issued a dividend of £231 million while also benefiting from wow, wow, we thirty million. What a dividend! Relief. Having yeah. had some government funding handed across to them, which is effectively public money. How does that work? Yeah, what do we feel about this? Sainsbury is a very purpose-led organisation. So it says. Bottom, you know, societal issues such as Black Lives Matter, clearly. I can't square it myself. I know, you know, uh, a board has to be fiscally responsible and the priority is delivering a return to shareholders. But a dividend yeah. supposedly based on historical performance, right? However, yeah. would you not morally look at the situation right now and say, this does not seem like a good time to take a dividend because our businesses are struggling, our staff are struggling, we need to protect them. And actually, we've had some government money. Slight tension there for me. I, I just, just doesn't feel right. Slight tension. The other thing Slight is, tension. what I'm interested in, though, the other thing that gets me is that they're making lots of people redundant. You know, retail has been one of the busiest sectors since the start of lockdown. Yeah, I've dug into that. They, so the redundancies are coming out from the deli counters that are all closed. But they're um, not, they're open again. I literally bought two pizzas there yesterday. You were no, tweeting deli- about yours. They are. I've, deli- 
They might be closing again, but they've definitely uh, been open. I was there by right. Well, and also our Argos, Argos, which hasn't had a had, has had a torrid time. You know, that's a business that we you know has needed to modernise. Sorry to be cynical, right? but this smacks to me of preemptive strike as Brexit pushes food prices up and makes logistics harder. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm that's like, one I, to, I might just ring. I ring no, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Yeah. And, and, you know. <laughs> The organisation said, it also said, it tucked away in the footnotes, which inevitably got lost, is that we're going to make 6,000, we're going to hire 6,000 people next year because of the way our business is changing. But, you know. So is this a restructure because, because of the nature of the business is changing or what? So it, just, it, sound, it doesn't well, sound there's two very... Things. There's, there's two things. There's two things here. There's the benefiting from a dividend and while you're getting rates relief, you know, effectively public subsidy. Secondly, there is a restructure going on uh, in the business. Delhi Count has, you know, switched to online and and uh, the Argos business. Yeah, still a bit sniffy. Doesn't pass the sniff test. And no, it doesn't pass the sniff test. I've, I've tweeted about this and, you know, the, the PRRT, it, it's very quiet about it. <laughs> Just like, oh, oh, that's it. Oh, oh, we can't possibly comment on that because it's all a bit sensitive. It's not at all. It's bullshit. It's just that we noticed, sorry, just on that notice, as we're talking about sniffy stuff, I did laugh. BlackRock are doing a series of promoted posts about the good they're doing while they're, how they're investing in communities while, you know, while they're going about their business, which I still, I've quoted Larry Fink many, many, many times in different presentations. But if you do go back and look at where some of their more iffy investments are, I do, I do think that's quite hilarious that they've chosen a number of green like things like green energy to show their community work. I'm a bit like, you've got to clear up the full act, not just a little bit of it, and then start promoting all the good bits. But, you know, just my little humble opinion. <laughs> There's nothing humble about you, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> actually, there is. Uh, right. So presenting over video camera, I, I wrote a blog about this. Uh, of course you did, Stephen. Of course you did. I just want to it's nothing about out. driving traffic. It's really, really, di- it's a completely different gig to presenting in a theatre or a podium. There's a whole load of suggestions and we're running out of time. So I'm going to put the link in the show notes. You can go and have a look at it there. Look in the camera, prepare, uh, sort your tech out. Pause as well and give people time, especially if you're pitching. You know, like make sure that that message has been heard loud and clear. You know, like you might not know these people. The relationship might not be there. Cues are taken differently. You have to make sure that that message is landed and there's plenty of time for questions. I think setting things out up front is, uh, when you're about to present is quite useful. So people know that the rules of engagement. It's like a relationship, Sarah. It's like a relationship. It's yeah. two way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rooted in listening. Just make sure you put the washing on later, love. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right. The um, Irish PR Institute and ECO had their conferences this week. They both spotlighted uh, the challenges that the PR industry has faced in coming through COVID, but also lots of good news stories, particularly around public affairs, corporate, B2B, technology for, for from organisers emerging from from the crisis. You know, big issues to face, though, and we've talked about many of them already, not least Brexit. Have you got any good news that we can end on, Sarah? I've got two things that I would like to signpost people to. Huge recommendations, double thumbs up. So um, as people will know, I'm on the advisory panel for The Blueprint, which is this fantastic kite mark that 
organizations can apply for and commit to their benchmarks um, to show commitment to diversity and, and making workplaces a good place to be uh, for, for diverse talent. Well, BME PR Pros is now um, it's coming back with its winter conference. And from Wednesday the 2nd to the Friday the 11th of December, um, they have uh, a number of events underneath the banner of the winter of our content. And again, Elizabeth and the team have knocked it out of the park with speakers. They've got Samira Ahmed. Uh, they've got Lord Simon, Woolley CBE, uh, Trevor Robinson, OBE. I mean, if you look at the lineup and the number of speakers underneath that and the topics they're covering, go buy a ticket now. And then um, just a book that I bought that actually will answer a lot of questions that people have had. We talked about diversity in the last podcast and obviously, we talked about a lot of it around Future Proof Edition 4, which was the celebration of BME talent. Um, I picked up a book by June Sarpong, and it's called The Power of Privilege, How White People Can Challenge Racism. So you want to spend a good fiver, that's the way to do it. Do it, read it before Christmas, you'd be glad you did. And um, it's, you know, like, it's a good way to finish the year feeling like we've learned something and, and we're making a difference. That's my big lockdown thing, actually, reading books. Not box sets. I but thought it was books. not drinking and getting... I wouldn't say thin, <laughs> but like losing the tongue. <laughs> oh dear. There, dear listener, we end it. Thank you for thank you for tuning in again. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Future Proof Podcast with Sarah and Stephen Waddington. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at Mrs. Underscore Wads and Stephen at Wads. For more information about Future Proof, visit futureproofingcoms.co.uk. Until next time, see you on the internet. Bye.